This is Do By Friday, the weekly challenge podcast with Merlin Mann, Alex Cox, and Max Temkin. This week's challenge, don't tweet. Hey Merlin, how's it going? That's good. I get confused because I listen, I'm an animal, and I listen mm-hmm. to when I'm on my Mac, I listen to podcasts in the Overcast website. And uh, to ensure the window doesn't get closed, I double tap on the bar to make it go away, and then I can never find it. So the, the goes boom, boom, Skype goes, and I'm like, ah, 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 ah. Chris Latner's <laughs> talking. I'm confused. Oh, Chris Latner. Holy shit. He is a handsome man. Is he really? Yes. Uh, in, so friend of the show, can we call, well, Casey and Marco are meant friends of the show, uh, and your friend, John Syracuse, who I wonder. My frenemy. <laughs> uh, on their program. My, my confessor. <laughs> they, they had Chris La- they're having Chris Latner on. And, I, and uh, for people who don't know, he created Swift, and he's a bigwig at Apple, but then he left Apple, and now he's at Tesla. And he is currently, but not currently, being interviewed on ATP, and I don't want to record this podcast. I just want to go listen to that. We should podcast. just sit and listen to it together. He's, yeah. It's really good. Syracuse is asking him great questions. This oh, is the man. thing. This is the thing about when, when a show like ATP goes deep on stuff I don't understand, I'm not any less interested in it. You know what I mean? Like, like oh, yeah. when he would go into stuff on hypercritical. I'm uh, don't. He's not going to hear this, but you know, I really enjoy the fact <laughs> that uh, he's very thoughtful, but also he's good at uh, laying out something that's very technical in a way that isn't just pigs and bunnies. And I don't know. I, I just, it's almost like listening to somebody, somebody speak Mandarin for 20 minutes. It's nice <laughs> to just listen. I, shaw, 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 shaw. The, that's my impression of Mandarin. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we both had, we both had a lot of caffeine. Taking, oh man. So, so uh, I, I, I had one of my, you know, trademark sinus infections um, and I hadn't had Claritin D for quite a while and I took some today, and I've got my Monster Energy Ultra Red with me, and it's, it's, ooh. <sighs> the Claritin, uh, I'm still taking it every morning, and uh, it's, it has, it's not uh, kicking like it used to. I, 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 need a, I need a new kick. You know, when I go in and buy it, I bring my daughter, and I shave, <laughs> and I think I look a little bit less like a meth dealer. <laughs> Only three chefs remain to compete in the ultimate culinary showdown, and only two will make it to the finals in Mexico. At stake for the winner, a feature in Food & Wine magazine, an appearance at the Food & Wine Classic in Aspen, $125,000 furnished by San Pellegrino, and the coveted title of Top Chef. Wow, that was great. You did that all from memory. That was incredible. I've got some follow-in. Normally, normally I don't look at Max because I'm paranoid about our recording and I'm, I'm just watching the waveforms, but you have a small black rectangle. Oh, that's my new Kindle. I got the oh, new Kindle. Oh, the fancy, fancy yeah. one? The I, way too overpriced, but the one it I is desperately very, it's, want? <laughs> it's, called the, it's the new one. It's called the Kindle Oasis. Oh, man. And it's just, I just was time for, I read a lot on my Kindle and I take it into the bath a lot and uh, it was just time for me to upgrade because I got, what happens is you get condensation and this is over like two years of owning my previous oh, paper white. Oh, this is costly. Oh, you my get, goodness. You get condensation like in the screen and then it fogs up and it's hard, it blurs and it's hard to read. <laughs> 
the text. So oh now no, I, my Kindle. So now, I, well, that's the price you pay really? for reading the Kindle in the bath every night. I uh, so now I've got the new Kindle, the Oasis. I really love it. They the the paddle controls on this are just awesome. It's like the pages load so much faster. I, I genuinely really like the removable cover battery dingy dingus thing that they that they that they've added to this, and it's uh, the screen is the same size, but the device itself is a much smaller footprint, which is great. Like a smaller device to see the same amount of stuff is always what you want. I'm I am like a huge huge Kindle person. Um, I I realized I, I I had a come to Jesus moment this year where I kept telling people, yeah, I can never have enough physical physical books. I love physical books, and now I have all of these physical books that I know I'm going to rebuy on my Kindle because I just I, oh, I hate physical. Books. It's <laughs> Amazon's Amazon's really so got me by the balls here because I buy oh, yeah. for the books mm-hmm. I like I buy both because yeah, I want the book because yeah. I it's valuable to me to. I like having it on my shelf. I like being able to lend it to people. Sometimes mm-hmm. I love like putting post-it notes in the sections that I that oh, I like. Oh no, like, no, 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 no! Just highlight stuff. Oh yeah, I do that too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, there's a little dog ear and highlight. And then you put, then you take a screenshot of it and you put it in bear, and then you have this lovely. Uh, you, you just have a note of all the notes. It's great. Oh, have holy. you heard about Bear Merlin? Yes, mm-hmm. I, I play with it more. It's really. Do cute. you follow? You want to do follow in on Bear? Yes. We got you got you got really good follow up follow up follow in uh, in the list. I've had a lot of coffee. I have some <laughs> I have some follow up that I prepared, which is last week we were speculating about what uh, Chris Latner was going to do when he left Apple, and you know yeah. we all thought it was going to be a long time before we heard. But I'm really excited to announce our special guest for this episode, Chris Latner. <laughs> Chris, why'd you leave Apple? Hey guys, how's it going? <laughs> oh well, man! Actually, the, the answer, answer is actually really boring. I'm definitely Chris Latner. <laughs> I made LLVM and clang things. And now I'm on, (laughs) I'm definitely on a podcast. It's a real get to have me, who is definitely Chris Latner on the show. Did you have any questions about cars? Uh, All right. Uh, I just realized that people don't know what our challenge for last week was. Should we just keep them in the dark? We got follow up and follow in. What is, what is happening? Do you guys just not look at the Google doc? I have follow up out the ass this week. (laughs) Put it in the doc. You know we have. Did you know we have a Google Doc, Max? Uh, There's a what? Uh. <laughs> He's a music man. You got to know the territory. Jesus Christ! I've had a lot of espresso. I I I I wonder, like, um, because I I understand mm. that a lot of men get erections, and as soon as I heard, <laughs> as her, as soon as I heard Chris Latner's voice, I'm like, I wonder. <laughs> I just got so excited to the point where I yelled and Max's assistant came into the studio. I was like, what's wrong? And I'm like, it's Chris Latner. Just like, I'm going to go now. Okay. You got a Latner uh, boner. Uh, oh. uh, Chris, Chris Latner. Now listen, if you create the Swift programming language, you're going to drop some panties. Oh, are you kidding me? You're going to need a dehumidifier tonight. Uh, uh. There was, I have some... <laughs> I have some incredible Donald Trump news that's breaking this morning oh that I wanted God. to share with everyone. It's really, it's honestly, it's one of the funniest things that's happened so far in the transition. So okay. I woke up this morning, and you know, I well, we'll get we'll get to this in great depth in this episode. But I uh, go on Twitter and I scroll through Twitter and I look at what apocalyptic events have unfolded while I slept, <laughs> and my heart starts racing, and I feel like I can have a panic attack before I get out of bed. And there was a Washington Post interview with Donald Trump that was posted at 6 a.m. this morning. Um, I will just um, um, I'll just read 
a little excerpt from it. So this is the Washington Post uh, reporter uh, uh, who's interviewing Donald Trump. And the story was ostensibly about how did Trump come up with his brilliant campaign slogan, Make America Great Again. <laughs> Halfway through the interview. Oh, uh, and then um, uh, he, he basically he talked about that he thought of it immediately and then trademarked it. So when like Cruz and Rubio started peppering Make America Great Again into their speeches, Trump like cease and desisted them in like a brilliant tactical maneuver. So halfway, th this is now the quote, halfway through his interview with the Washington Post, Trump shared a bit of news. He's already decided on his slogan for a reelection bid in 2020. Are you ready? He said, keep America great, exclamation point. Get me my lawyer, the president-elect shouted. Two minutes later, one arrived. This is during the interview. During oh the interview. Oh, my God. W Trump quoted, will you trademark and register if you would, if you like it? I think I like it, right? Do you do this? Keep America great with an exclamation point. With and without an exclamation. Keep America great, Trump said. Got it, the lawyer replied. That bit of business. Now, here's what, made, here's what made me tell you. I have to get that out of the way, but here's what's the part that started blowing my mind about this piece. Um, that bit of business out of the way, Trump returned to the interview. I never thought I'd be giving you my expression for four years from now, he said, but I am so confident that we are going to be, it is going to be amazing. It's the only reason I give it to you. If I was like ambiguous about it, if I wasn't sure about what is going to happen, the country is going to be great. Which raises the questions, how can greatness be measured and sensed? What does that even mean? Trump quoted again. This is, this is, brace yourselves. Being a great president has a lot to, uh, has to do with a lot of things, but one of them is being a great cheerleader for the country, Trump said, and we're going to show the people as we build up our military, we're going to display our military. That military may come marching down Pennsylvania Avenue. That military may be flying over New York City and Washington, D.C. for parades. I mean, we're going to be showing our military, he added. Jesus now, Christ. when you think of the military marching down, you know, main roads and cities and warplanes flying overhead, does that conjure any sort of mm. visual image <laughs> of a type of personality of a leader, a form of government? <sighs> I'm laughing because what I'm, I'm thinking nervous. is what I'm thinking is Democratic Republic. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's what it reminds Jesus me of Christ. is a functioning democracy with a democratically elected leader. Did you see Alex Jones's uh, big reveal? What's that? Uh, this is the headline from the uh, Austin uh, Statesman. Alex Jones, colon, Trump inauguration will be, quote, the, be the biggest event in human history, unquote, barring a coup, assassination, or nuke attack. Sure. You know, I'm going to try and do this in the voice. You can cut this out. But I'm going to try and do this in the voice, but I tried to do it for my daughter last night, and I had to give, give up after like a paragraph. A lot of people keep asking me, will they set off a low yield or a tactical nuke in D.C. to stop the Trump inauguration? <laughs> and try to basically derail the whole populist movement. And I haven't really responded to that because we don't have any hard intel on it. We don't have any chatter. I don't have any sources on that fact. But I have to ask myself, if Obama would fund ISIS and al-Qaeda, taking over multiple countries in the Middle East and Africa and killing hundreds of thousands of people and overthrowing non-radical regimes and putting every Christian they find to the sword, then the answer is yes. If the people behind Obama would launch major wars in the last few years, places like Ukraine, start a war with Russia, move U.S. troops to the border with Poland, have all sorts of other pro provocative actions put in place, federalizing of elections, acting like they don't intend to leave, anything is possible. I want to be clear. Before the national media picks this up and lies and says that I'm saying there's going to be a nuclear attack in D.C. on Trump's inauguration coming up in five days, I'm not saying that. I'm going to be there with my crew covering on the ground. And if the globalists did try something like that, it would blow up in their face because the populist movement worldwide is exploding. Nationalism is exploding. And the people are on to this corporate form of world government. Now, can I tell, take a break and tell you about some powders that I like? You're going to put some powders in your ass.
Did you see somebody registered Merlin Man uh, herbs? I did. I saw that on the website Twitter.com. Now, there's one final plot twist of this whole story in the Washington Post, which mm-hmm. is after the story ran, someone actually took the time to do a trademark registration to see if anyone had already trademarked the phrase, Keep America Great. Keep America Great. Now, I will tell you, spoiler alert, it has been trademarked. Do you guys have any guesses as to who might have trademarked the phrase, Keep America Great? What what IP or person mm. has trademarked that? What would you guys guess? Can you tell us if it is an individual or an IP? It's a company. Okay. I'm gonna guess the Ford. I'm gonna guess the Ford Motor Company. Alex, this feels like a trick question. I don't like this at all. It's a real question, and I'll tell you, it's a film. It came out in oh. two thousand. It's a oh. it's oh. a film. It came out in two thousand sixteen. Oh. Mm. And it's a little movie called The Purge: Election Day. Yeah. Oh yes, my! Yes, the yes, official, ta- the trademark tagline of the movie is "Keep America Great." Oh my God! Yes. <laughs> Have you seen oh this film, God. Merlin? It's so horrible. I love it. It's my favorite of the. Uh, I mean, it's uh, no Reifenstahl. It's no Reifenstahl. It's it's <laughs> just the worst. Um. Oh my God. And then, you know, he's going on vacation over the weekend. That's a very brave of Alex Jones to head into the blast zone, you know, to give us that kind of breaking coverage of will there or will there not be a nuclear explosion? He, he's going to be there with his crew covering on the ground. I think it's very his word choice is very interesting, though, that he chooses to end this discussion of whether there will be whether someone. Of course, there's also lots of reports that there's going to be stink bombs. The liberals are going to be doing stink bombs. They're going to be, you know, the bikers can't stop them. It's just an interesting choice of words to say that there's there may be a tactical nuclear device <laughs> in Washington, D.C. Mm-hmm. And then he chooses to say, if that happened, that would, quote, blow up in their face. Mm-hmm. Because the populist movement worldwide is exploding. Mm-hmm. Nationalism is exploding. When when Alex Jones thinks about a new a tactical nuclear weapon being detonated on American soil, he has the same reaction that Alex does when she hears Chris Latner on a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> like all these fucking Republicans oh when they talk about nine eleven. Have you noticed oh how sexually aroused they are? Like, oh the travesty, it was so exciting. Everything changed, everything changed, everything changed. All right, we got to start the show. I'm going to do my Top Chef bit again to set it up. <laughs> okay, but we also got follow up and follow in. We're, we, we we did some follow in. Do you have more follow in, Merlin? God fucking damn it. What? Is anybody looking at the Google Doc? I am looking at the do- We have follow up, but we are in follow in right now. Okay. Follow in. Merlin, what that you was got? Your, that was, I was throwing to you there, oh. uh, Max. Everybody shut up. <clears throat> Here's the thing. You're going to get a tactical nuclear powder in your ass. <laughs> I think Merlin it's going to be a tactical nuclear explosion up. of energy, of masculine no, energy. No, Okay, Max, what's Alex, your following? you're going to get that high T. You're going to get boners whenever you hear Chris Leitner's <laughs> voice. If you want to really, really express the fullness of your masculinity, you got to get a, you got to get a Leitner powder. Now that's going to work with your clang. It's going to work with your LLVM, and it's going to bring up your T. you got to stock up on this Leitner before the government bans it for making you too manly. Oh. <laughs> you can buy a, a C-Cell's bulletproof vests. Have you seen that? He sells bulletproof. You can buy a bulletproof, bulletproof vest from Alex uh, Alex Jones. Wait, really? Oh, God. <clears throat> yeah, he started pushing him really hard after the Fort Lauderdale shooting. Mm. <gasps> <laughs> <laughs> are, are we doing the show? Is this the show? Uh, Max, what's your follow-in? My follow-in? 
He's got to do it. You're going to do your read. Aren't you doing your Top Chef read? Oh, no. This is all going in. I mean, this is it. The show's the show. <laughs> Everything that's on the show is the show. That's, that's in the show. That is the show. All right. <clears throat> How you guys doing? Big week. Huge, huge week. You had a thought about thought experiments. Uh, <clears throat> was there any other big follow-up uh, of consequence? Vine died. Oh, yeah. The Vine. one good thing on the internet. Mm. Lemons. I I opened the the app store this morning and the Vine update is just the exact same icon except it's all black. <laughs> like it's in mourning. Oh, made me Aww. sad. Yeah. But Merlin, you you don't use Vine or uh, Instagram. Why why is that? <clears throat> That's a whole nother show, as you like to say. No, no, no. I uh, mm, eh, 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 we talked. Have we talked about Vine on here? Because no. I discovered. Excuse me. <laughs> I discovered Vine. I've had a lot of espresso. I'm not going <laughs> to lie to you. I bought a new AeroPress, and I've been using the fuck out of it. Ooh. Yeah. The build quality's not what it was. It's kind of weird, but I. I discovered Vine, I think, when they announced that they were ending it, and I didn't realize Aww. what an art form Vine had become. And so my friend John Roderick introduced me to the Vines of Will Sasso, oh. which, which mm. should probably be enshrined somewhere. Send it up on the, on the golden record on the Voyager probe. Put it, put it on These the Sagan album. When we, meet yeah. the, when we meet the aliens, we're going to show them the Will Sasso Vines and, we're gonna, and Connor O'Malley yelling at cars, and we're going to say, these are our works. <laughs> Judge us. Some almond milk. You can take almonds, water, lemons. Lemons! <laughs> it's always <laughs> funny. And then a lemon comes out of his mouth. Yeah. And then, uh, yeah, I saw one. Some people, like, uh, in memoriam, we'll get to this in our in our uh, main topic this week, but I've been looking at a lot of Twitter, including Max's horrible political Twitter list. Mm. And somebody on there yesterday posted a fuck ton of their favorite vines. <laughs> Did you see those, Max? Uh, pro- I mean, I'm I'm just I'm just all the way into Vine. I mean, Vine is it's really the last, it's the last good place on the internet. A fight starts between these two guys, and it looks pretty brutal. And there's this guy in like shirtless. He's pretty much all he's wearing is a pair of shorts. And this guy starts hitting him, and he runs back for a second, hulks out a little bit, and his pants fall off, and you can see his dick. <laughs> Merlin is discovering this after like three years of gr- like beautiful joy. But it was so great because everybody that thought they were there to see a fight suddenly goes, whoa, whoa, like too much, too much. Have you ever seen the vine of that guy when his pants <laughs> <laughs> It's pretty funny. Now that's comedy. Yeah. Yeah, no, no. And then Instagram is a whole other thing. But yeah, yeah, this has been an interesting, a very interesting week. Let me just, I'm just going to, can I just come on and say what the challenge was? Because, and then we can go back to our follow-up or, and, and why not? challenge. So here was my challenge this week. My challenge, and we cut it out of the podcast because I wanted it to be a surprise. The challenge this week was I challenged uh, Alex and Merlin to not use Twitter for an entire week, uh, which we all interpreted to mean not to post to Twitter because I think we all read Twitter. And uh, we all did it. I, it was also a bet. It was that if you were the first one to crack, it was, it was really see how long we could go without tweeting. And if you were the first one to crack, you had to buy lunch for everyone. And uh, no, nobody, tw- nobody tweeted. We did a great job. And yeah. I uh, will talk. I, I assume we all have a lot to say about it. But, um, you know, I just have to say, like, I'm so excited to talk to you guys. And I have so many, like, funny things to tell you about and so many <laughs> things to say because I didn't fucking tweet it out. All week. Uh, I had to create a new bear document just for stuff I couldn't say. I have huge, big balls full of content. <laughs> <laughs> 
You got a big angry scrotum full of content. <laughs> Plants on content. I have a raging Latner of jokes, <laughs> and it's coming out. God, Chris Latner, if you ever hear this, I'm so sorry. I admire you so much. Okay. The- <laughs> It's admiration, Alex. It's, it's pure uh, admiration. Uh, have both of you seen the Vine that I have posted? Okay, okay, wait. This so uh, for for listeners, this is a Vine of a puppy, and we're gonna listen to it right now. Remy, sit. Speak. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, it's funny because it looks like the dog said it. <laughs> Thank you. I won't talk for the rest of the show now. I'm happy. <laughs> All right. Can you wait? Hang on. Hang on. Let's find. Let's find. I'm going to search for Vine Fight Pants. Our friend. I'm. I'm going to put this in show notes. But uh, our our friend Brent Nepper. Brett. Oh, I'm so sorry. Brent. Brent Nepper uh, created an amazing compilation of vines. Uh, and I don't know if this will go in, but but Max uh, Max's birthday party is going to be a Vine film festival. Are are you going to put the compilation online later? Yeah, well, the, uh, so our friend uh, our friend Benedict uh, Fritz uh, made this tool. I think it's on GitHub, so I think anyone can just grab this. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> we'll we'll try and put whatever info we have in the show notes. But he made this tool where you can actually like download all your favorite vines off of your Vine faves. So, you know, if you're like me and you have, like, years of, like, favorited vines, you can just pull them down. And then we're going to sort of take those video files and we're doing, like, a, a vine film festival. We rented a movie theater and, and we're going to show a bunch of vines this weekend. Oh, that's a really fun idea. Did you get that YouTube link, Alex? Oh, all right. Here we go. I downloaded YouTube Red, which still sounds like porn, but I'm really liking it. <laughs> Love YouTube Red. <laughs> I can't vouch for that other part. But, but so do you, do you think... It seems like they started to fall off, and then he's like, I got to lose these. And so he just pulls his pants off, and he's ready to do some MMA-style fighting. This, uh, uh, oh, wow, drunk naked guys fight over ex-girlfriend. Wow, oh, what, what is oh. happening? How do you turn, can't you turn Instaplay off with YouTube, Red? What, yeah, uh, autoplay, you just turn off autoplay. Can't turn off annotations, though. They just keep coming up. Please, please remember to like and subscribe. <laughs> That's a neat idea, Max. That'll be fun. You're turning 30, is that right? <clears throat> Yeah, are you uh, are you upping your powders? Well, at some point you're playing defense, you know. And yes. I got pack my. It's like I have to. It's like a mummy. I have to pack every cavity in my body full of leaves and powders to preserve exactly <laughs> what I have now. Unguents, poultices, treatments. I haven't really achieved much of physically anything to be proud of by the age of thirty. And I always feel like it's like the kind of thing I'll do later. Is like, yeah, I'll, I'll get in shape. I'll like put some energy into that. And I really haven't done anything towards that, and it's only downhill from here. I mean, this is it. Yeah, I, I, the thing is, for you, knowing your personality just a little bit, I think around 38 you're going to get super fucking weird. And knowing how you get obsessed with things and then spend lots of money on it, I think you are probably going to spend two years becoming a grotesquerie of a man. You're going to have lots of surgeries. I think you're going to be ripped. You're going to be super, like, just, you know, like an old man ripped? Like when you're like that creepy kind of like J.K. Simmons a little too ripped? That's going to be you. Well, like uh, like like carrot top, <laughs> like <laughs> carrot top. That's a terrific terrific example. And the thing is, the, he has his powders, and he and he starts to lift, and he's just looking at himself in a mirror the whole time. The whole time he's lifting, he's he's looking at carrot top. Can you imagine that? <laughs> it's funny. He's laughing. Yeah, I'd love to look at carrot top in the mirror every day. He's a funny man. Yeah. So that's the challenge. By the age, okay. This week's challenge by the age of thirty-eight. Have a bunch of corrective <laughs> surgeries and uh, lose a bunch of weight and get in shape. 
Also, also have a child. Bear. Oh. Yeah. No. No pressure, Max. When are you getting married? When are you, when are you gonna have kids? When are you gonna? You should have a fur baby. Have a few more fur babies. I thought that thirty was gonna be the year that uh, people started pestering me about that. Nope. The answer to that was twenty six. Yeah. Wow. Really? Oh God. Before you were married? Every. Oh yeah. Before. Well, because Mel and I were together for a very long time before we got married. So it was. It was. When when are you going to get married? And then now the the baby thing is just ramped up. Tick tock. Tick tock. I. But here's the thing. I can just go and get one. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Pick one up at the store. It's like my cat costs thirty dollars. They they like made my landlord fill out a piece of paper. They're like, oh, you've got a job. Have it. You can get a, you can get it from uh, Amazon Prime. You can go to a playground. Yeah, there's all kinds of places. You just pop by. You just run an Angel- Angelina Jolie on them. You just stop by and say, "This kid needs an adoption." I'm gonna adopt the shit out of that. All right, I have a piece of follow-up. Can I do a piece of follow-up? Yes, please. There was huge breaking podcast news this week um, that came out, um, which is, uh, this is a story from uh, the the Jewish uh, publication JTA from yesterday. Uh, The founder of popular right-wing blog The Right Stuff, uh, and uh, uh, this guy uh, Mike uh, Enoch, who's also a major player on the alt-right and co-hosts a podcast called, uh, uh, an extremely popular anti-Semitism podcast called The Daily Showa, the founder of popular right-wing uh, blog, The Right Stuff, resigned over the revelation that his wife is Jewish. Mike Enoch, who also <laughs> co-hosts The Daily Show, a weekly podcast, was outed over the weekend as Mike Pinovich, a website developer from New York. On the podcast, which has about 100,000 regular listeners, which can we just pause to talk about this for a second? <laughs> yeah. the, anti- the nation's preeminent anti-Semitism podcast oh. has more listeners than we do. This is an outrage. Jesus. I, I, Christ. But it's, I mean, the, the, the thing to clarify here in the midst of uh, an age, a time when we really struggle with what to call things, this is a pretty unalloyed, uh, you don't even want to say neo-Nazi. This is, a, this is an anti-Semitic, like basically pro-Nazi podcast with 100,000 listeners. Just, just I, I know I'm, I'm probably putting too fine a point on it, but this is not a bunch of code. No, this no, the, no. It's a, it's this... called the Daily Showa, which is the Hebrew okay. word for the Holocaust. So it's yes. about it, the. I mean, I've lis- I've listened to the show before, uh, um, and it's they just they talk about like killing. Jews oh my god, that's a pun. Genocide. That's that's a pretty the clever Daily pun. Show. You yeah, the Daily Show. The Daily Show. Yeah. yeah, it's very clever. You seem yeah. way too <laughs> impressed by the name, Merlin. <laughs> um, uh, the, uh, Enoch was considered one of the three most influential figures in the alt-right movement, along with Daily Stormer creator Andrew Anglin and Richard Spencer, president of the National Policy Institute, white supremacist think tank. This guy is the co-creator of the alt-right label, um, and he traffics uh, uh, variously in white nationalism, anti-immigration sentiment, anti-Semitism, and a disdain for political correctness. <clears throat> Pinovich came clean with readers of the right stuff, posting a message in a password-protected forum that was reprinted in part by Salon. This is his message. As I'm sure you all know, I was doxxed in an ill-advised attempt to fool the media about my identity, led me to not talk to you people and try to simply ride it out by being silent. This was irresponsible and a disservice to all of you. Yes, my wife is who they say she is. I won't even bother denying it. I won't bother making excuses. If this makes you want to leave the movement or have nothing to do with TRS, then I understand. Yeah, and apparently she had also um, participated on the show. She's been a guest but, on the show, yeah. 
yeah, where they do like jokey, jokey Jewish things. Now, and uh, yeah. Now here's the thing, because I because I know we're kind of getting into some some personal things with the, the marriage talking to kids. I just want to make sure that none of us is married to a Jew, because I would really hate for that to be the way that this podcast ends, and I don't want to be outed. As okay, any... all right, <clears throat> I'll go first. I this is the kind of thing I thought I could avoid this by not discussing it. Uh, people are trying to disrupt the movement. I am married to an Octa Jew. My uh, my wife is one eighth Jewish. Ah, oh, that just makes me want to leave the movement. Okay, <laughs> as long as I'm getting it all out there. <laughs> She's an Octajew, and that particular, she's one-eighth Jewish. She's also one-eighth Canadian. Oh, that's just the worst. I have Canadian Jew in my blood. <laughs> I, I, I don't think it counts because Mel's one-fourth, but it's on her dad's side. So... She's a quadra-Jew. Yeah, yeah. And, and and it passes through the woman. Is that right? Yeah. I, and with, like, we recently discovered on my family, like, it's, 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 <clears throat> Like Polish Catholicism, big big deal in my family. But it uh, t- turns out if you get a genetic test, I'm I'm like uh, I think an eighth, no, a sixth. I don't know how it works. I'm, I'm fairly Jewish, uh, but that makes sense just from where we lived. So, that's enough to be yeah. round. That's enough to be rounded up, though. Yeah. Oh yeah. You always round up with the Jew. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> believe th- believe me, they're doing it to you. <laughs> um. So uh, Trump only wants like an eighth of me dead. Oh, I, f- I keep forgetting. You're an Ashkenazi or a Sephardic? Yeah. Which one are you? Eh. Which one? Sephardic is the one where you're like a Moor, right? That's like the Spanish. That's like the uh, the uh, the Milton Freeman Jews, right? That's the ones that are from Spain. Yeah, they can have the rice on Passover. So I always thought that one was cooler. But um... what about Othello? Is he a Jew? Uh, yeah, the black Jew, Othello. Okay, yeah. all right. I thought that was Dickens. Yeah. Huh. Yeah, I see. When you said you were from Poland, I was thinking that that, that was a Jewish thing, but uh, you got a lot of Catholics there, too. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. It, it, it depended on what like village you lived in, uh, but we, we come from—I think I talk about this a lot because I think it's really cool. We come from Kaminsky, which just happens to be the last name, <gasps> and it was like a suburb, like a village suburb of Warsaw. Um, so, so it was like growing up, it was like we, we did have family like— um, we don't know where they were, but they uh, died in the Holocaust. So it wasn't like a huge. Uh, I, I I don't know. It was it was weird. So it was like we were kind of Jewish, but not. Um, yeah. And right. I, I I wondered though t- because I was like my my grandpa is like the Make America Great Again guy, right? He should be so into Trump. And then like as this comes out, it's like oh yeah, like he he the, his supporters uh, killed your grandpa, right? Got it. Yeah. That's well, it's also like it's it. interesting to think about uh, to me like growing up in America at a time when we were still very much talking about whatever you want to call it the melting pot or the salad. I mean, you know, and, and growing up in the 70s, that was a big part of everything. It was like, hey, you know, it's land of opportunity, et cetera, et cetera. And it's interesting to think, though, about like you take U.S. versus somewhere like Canada versus somewhere like especially maybe especially Japan. Like the way that you think about similarity and difference, it seems like it's, there's so much contrast from country to country. And like I think we're the outlier or historically the outlier. Don't you think? I mean, you talked about this, Max, and like feeling. Didn't you feel this a little bit when you were in Japan? Just that sense of, like, there's Japanese people and then, like, everybody else. Well, I just want to say that I feel extremely validated because I've long suspected that uh, I'm the only pure blood on this podcast and that I'm surrounded by <laughs> cuck-servatives all around me at every angle that are secret Jews. And here it is. It's all out in the open. And now it all, it all, it all comes out. And you think, what, we're mud, 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 mud bloods? Is that what you call it? Mud bloods. You got that, you got that, an ugly, that, ugly term. that Jewish blood. <laughs> 
Yeah. This this uh the Daily Show website like it is what I would imagine a parody site to be. It's I it's I mean this in as a compliment. It's the ATP of anti-Semitic podcasts. <laughs> Digga, 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 digga. Um, you ha- do you want me to do mine or you want to do yours? You know, I so so theoretically, uh, if the- you, hypothetically, I mean this this is both in theory and and in as and a hypothesis. I hypothesize that you have a big phone. Um, but let's say in theory, do do you like large phones as a concept and as a utility? That's a very good question. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> First of all, to, to, to get straight to the point of your question, there's no fucking way that I would buy an iPhone 7, um, but I love it. Um, uh, I, uh, I, uh, let, let, let's clarify. 7 or, or yes. plus? You, you there. <laughs> <laughs> Got a plus. Oh, Wait, you switched to the, you switched to the plus? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I got the big boy phone. Mm-hmm. Welcome to the club. Mm. You cram that guy in your pocket, you let it rest right up against your Latiner? <laughs> mm. Clang. Sorry, Chris Latner. I hope you never hear this. Mm, I, I keep it right next to my compiler. I got it integrated with my Xcode. Oh. You get in there, you do, you do, you do a call on the data, and you do a push and a pull. <laughs> I love, it. I love it. See, here's the thing. God. It's like I waited for, you know, the thing is, how do I begin? The success has been good to me. It has not been a super interesting phone, but it was a solid phone. This is gonna sound so silly, but like I hated how slippery it was. It wasn't, it wasn't fun to use. And as I use the iPad more and more and more for stuff, I thought, hmm, I wonder if it's time. Plus, I really wanted to get the good photos. So, yeah, I popped for that. Probably silly. But I got one, and uh, I, I absolutely love it. And, and, the, and I, you know, the thing is, I'm, I'm half deaf, half blind. I don't notice anything. I really notice a difference in the photographs. It's, it's really, to, to my eye, quite dramatic. Oh, the photo quality and the battery life. Are I I I now like I can't switch to the small phone because mm-hmm. I miss the photo quality and the battery life. Mm-hmm. Are you a, are you a battery life denier, Alex? Oh no, no, no! You don't no, think no. it makes a difference? I, I it one hundred percent makes a difference. It's just a ridiculous size. And here here's the thing: I'm just jealous because I have very tiny hands to the point where like I just can't even hold the phone. Like I understand it is a a two handed phone, but like I just hey, we're, we've broken that we've broken the small hand barrier in society. Mm-hmm. I mean, the president of the United States they said it would never happen. <laughs> we have a small handed president. Anything is possible for you and your people, Alex. You could say you could say that little kids little kids in school with tiny hands. You could say one day you could grow up to be the the authoritarian leader, even with your little tiny hands. You won't be able to sign things. You might need uh, some big boy help to sign things because your your little grubby fingers. What a, what an American dream! In our lifetime, it happened. How about how about a case? Big case boy. I I did get a case, and I'm mostly using a case, but I don't feel like I need the case, and I'm probably going to go back to not case. Um, but so let's get mine out of the way. And then I really want to talk about why you didn't like or keep yours. That's mm-hmm, more interesting mm-hmm. to me. So, yeah, I, I'll, I'll, I figured I was ready for this. As I've mentioned before, my typing on iOS has gone to shit over the years. And it doesn't feel like it's purely my fault. Um, and the big boy phone, my typing is a lot better. Uh, I, I really, really like it. I, I feel really guilty about buying something I didn't absolutely need. But I, I am enjoying it. Not as much as my iPad Pro my little boy iPad Pro, but I really like it a lot. And even though I am relatively small handed, I'm not 
I got to tell you, I mean, the difference between a five and a six is much bigger than the difference between a, a whatever and a plus. Do you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like, you can really hit everything with a five. It's just like, I don't, I'm not sure the six S is that much more, or the seven or whatever is that much more of a bargain in terms of, you know, hands, hand space. So anyway, that's the short version. Yeah, I did that. I feel terrible about it, but I love it. Now, here's the thing. You have been sitting here for weeks looking at photos of the iPhone 7 Plus. <laughs> I have encouraged you as your mentor and former hero mm-hmm. to go and buy the fucking phone. Mm-hmm. And I want to know what happened because I'm super interested to hear how this went. I, I bought it, uh, maxed it out, had it for about 48 hours, and I I was losing my mind. It, it Oh, wow. I can't even... Like I can, I can barely reach stuff on my seven, and it's just so big. And it, I tried on every pair of pants I own. N- none of my pockets uh, would oh, hold this. Right. Yeah, yeah. We there's that. Um, I get, I get that the camera is better. Um, but in like low light situations, which is what I was most excited to see it. And it was, it was meh, meh. It's still, it's still pretty noisy. Yeah. No, I agree. I agree. And also, the the portrait thing is really neat. It's a fun parlor trick. I actually really like the way it looks, but there are huge limitations to that. If you are not in some, like outside and a, a person is standing in front of a solid background, it does not work. Yeah, I was messing around. We were waiting to go see La La Land. I was standing outside the studio, outside the cinema, just taking pictures to kill time and uh, of stuff in windows and experimenting with. You know, using portrait and not portrait. Well, first of all, portrait really zooms in. You got to really step mm-hmm. back. There's all kinds of rules about what'll fit. But even just taking a normal photo, the low light was not as good as I expected. When you see some of those photos that get touted as like famous iPhone photos, it's like I'm not getting. I'm getting way noisier stuff than that. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't know. It's fun though. I also I fiddled with it. I've been taking more videos. The videos look incredible, and I've been doing more videos playing with the Osmo. And it, it is it is pretty dramatic. I shot a video of my kid playing piano yesterday, and uh, it it it's it's stunning. I mean, the level of detail in it is really stunning. I could be wrong, but I don't think there is any difference between the seven and seven plus in terms of video because they put they put stabilization in uh, in 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 the seven. So that was the one thing where I was like, okay, if videos are the same, and like that's that's what I've been having most uh, like the most fun I've been having with iOS is really with video right now and Bear, good old Bear. Um, so, but I, yeah. I, I was on a success, so I didn't have exactly that. right, right. Yeah. So the photo I just sent you of my cat—that's our cat uh, next to a new plant we got, who we named Planty. And like, <laughs> in, I can instantly see like those are deeper, greener greens. I feel like than I was getting before from a usual like iPhone photo. I mean, it's not—I'm not saying it's a great photo. Uh, when I'm at home and my wife is at work, I take photos of the cat. I send her send her pictures of the cat. So that was a photo. But like, uh, yeah, I feel like it's much richer looking. The photos are much richer. Now, 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 Max. What about you and yours? Are you? You sounded like uh, a few episodes ago. You were feeling, you were on the fence about whether you'd made the right decision with the big boy phone. But now he's going to keep the big boy phone because Merlin Mann has a big boy phone, and and you know the cool the cool guys have the big boys. Ugh, would that I could have that kind of influence on people. <laughs> Listen, I just I just don't want to like do the work of of setting up the phone, so I'll just keep it. And when the new phone comes out, I'll probably go back to the small one. Although I do, I will say like I can't imagine going back to the phone with the smaller battery because with the regular size phone, yeah. I really I charge it overnight. I wake up and then I need to, it runs out of battery before I go to sleep. And with the big phone, I can actually go like two days before running out of battery. So it's a I notice a huge dramatic difference. I'm grading a little bit on a curve. I've had it for, I don't know, a week or two now. Um, and so, I mean, I was not seeing, 
uh, basically I was seeing the same problem with battery that I've had forever, which is I wake up, I diddle around with my phone for a few minutes, I do some things, and by like 8 or 9 a.m. I'm at 80%. Which seems weird to me. I think there's got to be something that's like a that's a runaway something happening somewhere. And the reason I say I'm grading on a curve is I'm trying to account for how much of that is photo recognition stuff because it's got to restart all that stuff. Right. My poor little MacBook Air. I mean, I put Sierra on my 2010 MacBook Air weeks ago, and I think it's still catching up on photo stuff. Mm-hmm. That that will really put a hurting on on your system. I, I have to say, like. Oh man, the the I I I love my little iPad too. I've got the Baby Pro, but uh, again, the the thumbs like I just it feels. Uh, have you ever dropped a phone and or iPad on your face? No, you said you do that when you sleep, right? Constantly, yeah. it yeah. happens to yeah. me once a night. Okay, good, oh my good. God. See, this Kindle is lighter though, so so there's less. And it, I I've never dropped a Kindle. It's it it does not. It's too small to fall on my face. So. Now I'm looking at pictures of Kindles. I might have become a diva. Like it's so the timing on you mentioning Kindles is funny because we've got it feels like this rat king of old Kindles around, and mm-hmm. one of them was like it's a paper white, so it's relatively recent. Mm-hmm. And I saw it sitting around. It was on the refrigerator underneath the the scale, and I was like, hmm, I should plug this in. And you know, haven't used this in a while. Uh, my wife hadn't used it in a while. I plugged it in. And it was like the minute it came up, I was like, ugh. Like I know I could adjust to this, but it. Do you do you just stop noticing like how it looks, with the justification and everything? Yeah, I I think because I've I've had the original Kindle and like every generation since then almost I just have accepted my fate and tried to ignore it. I should read more books. Did you guys finish? Did you guys finish Infinite Jest? How many of us here show of hands? How many people no. have read it all the way through? No, my hand is up. I've read it. I've read it three or four times all the way through. Hmm. All right. Well, then, are we talking about this? We're talking about what iPhones we have and whether we read Infinite Jest or not. I'm losing my my Latiner is drooping right now. talk about the challenge now are we done with our stupid follow-up and pre pre follow and whatever uh wow. le- le- wow, let's wow, check wow, the wow, google wow, doc wow. now oh. all right um Jesus. alex jones who's, who's working who's who's working for you here are we working for the google doc or is it working for us <laughs> am i right alex you had a thought about thought experiments i don't remember what this was um, okay moving on oh would you eat a person would you what? Would you? Would you? Uh, Merlin, I I ring a doorbell. I have five thousand dollars in cash, and I okay. have a cooked piece of meat. And let's say it's like two bitefuls. And I say, this is okay. a human person. Do you take <laughs> the money and eat eat my person? Okay, so you got it's cash you've got with you. Yes. You got a human amuse bouche. Yes. And the terms of this, this is not going to be like one of those Julian Assange things where I have my lawyer respond that that uh, doesn't really. It's a very clear thing. <laughs> if I eat the amuse bouche, that I know is definitely a person. Yes. And then uh, Chelsea Manning goes free. Is that how this works? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <clears throat> okay. Um, Do you know that it's safe beforehand, or you're taking a risk that you might get uh, the the that thing that Hillary Clinton had from eating people? The yep. Who knows? It's th- that is the only information you have. Do you know what I'm talking about? The what do you call the prions <laughs> in your brain? Yes. Oh, she's like a morgulon. Yeah, she had the she you got know, the morgulons from eating people. Mm-hmm. They figured that out online. 
Oh, they were able to decode that from things in the background, the cryptic symbols at the, uh, the symbols at the pizza place. They were able to put all that together. Well, so so if you want me to explain the whole thing, it's actually amazing. I, I really, I really, really would. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so basically, Hillary, as we all know, Hillary was suffering from a wide array of neurological disorders during the campaign. I mean, the evidence was obvious for anyone who wanted to uh, pay attention well, to anybody, it. Anybody who actually looked. Yeah, I mean, occasionally <laughs> you could see her moving her head to look at things, and that was clear evidence of uh, neurological trauma. What about that compulsive laughing? Did that have anything to do with, like, she wasn't able to control her reactions to people? Wasn't that part of her neurological uh, constellation of problems? Well, yeah, Merlin, that's part, That's a symptom. That's a classic symptom right there. So, yeah. um, essentially, there was, uh, after the Podesta emails leaked, there was a, um, an, a hilarious exchange where... Uh, so John Podesta's brother is like a big uh, art collector in New York, and he has a relationship with the artist Maria Abramovic, the, who basically invented performance art. And way back in the day, I think in the 60s or 70s, she did these series of dinners called Spirit Dinners, where she like cooked, she painted with menstrual blood and did performance art things, and it culminated in a meal that people ate together, and it was sort of this art experience. And Maria Abramovic did a Kickstarter a couple years ago, and one of the rewards at the very high level was, like, if you spend $10,000 on the Kickstarter, you can have a spirit dinner with Maria Abramovic. And the spirit dinner was just a dinner with Maria Abramovic. It wasn't—there wasn't any kooky stuff happening. It wasn't—and it wasn't code for anything. It was just— No, it's just—if yeah. you're at all familiar with her body of artistic work, it's, like, all out there in the open, which is, like, the the it's some kooky performance art stuff, and then it's a dinner. And, you know, this is a bunch of high society New York uh, uh, fancy boys who pay $10,000 on an art Kickstarter getting together and having dinner with an artist they like. So John Podesta's brother emails Podesta and says, do you want to come to this dinner with Maria Abramovic to the spirit dinner? And Podesta <laughs> says no, because he has no he has no taste in art because that would be an incredible experience. And that's the end of it. But once that email leaked, people started figuring it out, and they were like, oh, my God, Hillary Clinton is having spirit dinners. She is eating people. <laughs> and according to this episode of House, if you eat people, you can get these prions in your brain, and it causes all the neurological symptoms that explain all of her symptoms. And they put it together, and it was like fucking, you know, beautiful mind, all the string connected. All and, the yarn. <laughs> yep. And uh, it all made sense. And it was like, oh, she's got the Kurosawa disease. Mm. Hi. Ah. Wow, that's you know, you got to hand it to them. Get out there. You got to hand it. Got to really get in there and do your own research. Yeah, I mean, that's the kind of on the ground reporting on any possible tactical nuclear detonations that may or may not occur <laughs> that you come to expect from Infowars. <laughs> um. Let's see. Uh, okay, Let's check so, in with our tactical uh, nuke strike team on the Dubai Friday podcast <laughs> uh, to get an update on whether any tactical nuclear weapons have been detonated. Alex, your report? Mm, Merlin, follow you got, up. You got to say it before you let the media get in there and spin this and make me sound crazy. Here's the thing. I got two problems with this. First of all, I think the nature of this show is you take the challenge and you either do the challenge or you say why it's difficult. I'm going to say this every week. Now, here's my problem. First of all, $5,000, I might have eaten a person for $5,000 in high school. Probably definitely in, in college. Uh, $5,000 does not seem like that much money to eat a person. Now, uh, also it depends. Like if it was Padma, if Padma showed up and she was wearing something really flattering and had like $200,000 and an amuse-bouche, hmm, uh, I'd have to think about it because part of me is also thinking this is a prank. It's a double, double backwards turns out secret prank where it's actually chicken. So I'm not sure if I would eat the person. Alex, somebody comes to your door with $5,000. They have an amuse-bouche in their hand. Are you going to eat it? Are you going to eat the person? Uh, it needs to be 10000 That is my number I've set for myself if the situation occurs. I'd do it, I do it for five grand, no question. Mm -hmm. what do you, what, what's, yeah. I don't understand this because, like, do you guys draw 
do you fundamentally draw like a moral distinction between eating like a a chicken and eating a person no but the the number the ten thousand dollar gamble is with the inform like not having that information like i'm gambling my health if if i had documentation that this was oh you uh, think there might be some prions r- in there right so so uh, if, it, if it was like okay. yes this is fully cooked like it is safe then it would be like thousand okay, po- point of, point of information <laughs> Would it, how much would it change either of your decisions to know that it was a given person? Uh, if that person, I so I've I thought about this a lot. Um, I think I would actually be more okay with it if the person had given their consent, uh, or if mm. they donated their body to science. Like if they donated their body to science, anything's fair game. So so we oh, are yeah. so we are very close to uh, the ability to be able to print meat using mm-hmm. basically like g- gene sequencing and three D printers. And there's a lot of speculation on what the market for this will look like. So one thing that you'll, the obvious use case is you won't need to kill animals for meat anymore. You'll synthesize meat in a laboratory and it will be the best meat that people have ever eaten. Like they'll basically find the best cow, the most like tender, perfectly marbled, incredible cow, the single greatest cow that has ever lived. And that'll just be all the the beef from now on. Right, because you'll just Whoa. sequence it over and over. So it'll change the quality of, of all meat moving forward. It'll eliminate the need to eat animals. But check this out. You'll also be able to eat, if we can get the DNA, you'll be able to eat extinct animal species. So you'll be able to have like a dinosaur burger and eat it. And there may be a market for that. <laughs> there will also almost certainly be an underground market to eat celebrities. Because people, what people will do is they'll steal like a hair off of their hairbrush or you know DNA oh, from the hotel good. room. You, you wouldn't have to be. Uh, it wouldn't have to be something where someone had diabetes and they lost a leg. You could do that with something as simple as like uh, like an eyebrow hair. If you got if you got Charlize Theron's adoptive son's eyebrow hair, <laughs> exactly. That's what I'm saying okay. is that I pluck a hair off of her off of her jacket, and I, there's and I guarantee you there's a website. I can go on the deep web and there's a website yeah. where people are willing to pay to eat the Charlize Theron meat. I think we're getting into a little bit of a Hermione Granger type situation, though. We got to be careful that we don't turn into a cat. Okay. I mean, you you really <laughs> want to vet your sources on whether where the eyebrow hair has been sourced. Is it definitely her son? Was he enjoying a video on the iPad when it happened? I I think you're going to want some deep information. You know, it's really it's going to be nursery to table. You know, if you want to if you want to eat a young person, you're going to want to know a lot about did they have was there a college fund? Uh huh. How many other people are eating it? Because part of it is scarcity. Here's the thing: when you buy a Fabergé egg, like Max likes to do. Mm-hmm. You get a Fabergé egg, but that also means one less fa- less Fabergé egg on the market. Well, they're not just making those anymore. No, it's like a Stradivarius or, or an African child. Right. Okay. So what do we decide? I- I'm going to say, you know what? I'm going to be honest and say I probably wouldn't. I probably wouldn't. I would, I would absolutely do it because I don't think there's any fundamental difference between eating a person and eating any other animal. And um, I eat other meat. I've, I've bit the moral bullet. So why not just go mm. all the way and have a person? And Alex, you're you're okay as long as you're in the the single comma club. You you want you want to you want uh, ten ten large for this? No, uh, yes. Like I think that is a big enough uh, gamble for my health. Whereas five thousand, if I had all of the data, then no no question. Like okay, I, point of information: yeah. if there's if there's two amuses bouche on the tray, <laughs> is it permissible for me to pick and say I'm gonna eat that one, but you got to eat that one? No, we'll do this together. No, dude. Okay, then I'm definitely now. Na- no. I'm I'm out. <laughs> And I'm hungry. Mm. I 
I, I think Max is tweeting. I, I, God damn it. The, I, I think you're not following the spirit of the challenge. Just let me get a little more. Just let me get a little more. <laughs> ah, it's so mm, good. Clang, clang, clang. <laughs> I'm, I'm almost there. Is clang the language or the compiler? Which one is he? Oh. I, I'm not. I'm not smart enough to know uh, anything about Chris Latner other than he's very intelligent and good looking. Um, I've dealt with compilers a little bit. Oh, that was another question I wanted to ask. I'll save it for another show. But uh, but uh, you're you're attracted to Chris Latner, even though that's not generally how you roll. I think we should at some point uh, should talk about people of differing sexual orientations, interests, preferences. We should talk about people we're attracted to who would never be into us, or we shouldn't be into them. God, this is exactly what happens. You get a couple of Jews on the podcast. <laughs> One thing mm-hmm. leads to another. <laughs> suddenly I'm, right. I'm fucking Chris Latner. <laughs> yeah. You, you got to hire somebody to come in and uh, say it for you because it's Friday. Mazel tov. What's called a shibola? No, what do you do? It's a, it's a Shonda. Shonda rhymes? What do you call it? You have somebody come in and you light up your elevator? Yeah, you get the uh, you, you get your your, uh, your Shabbos Latner. That's right. L'chaim. You... <laughs> 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 do you have like a document of things you would like to say that you were not able to tweet? Oh, uh, you know, they were bad. Like looking back on them, I did, but they were they were awful. Let me just look. Uh, all I wrote, <laughs> all I wrote down was I really miss piss Twitter. So that was it. <laughs> and I do. I truly do miss piss Twitter. I think that was for me. Um, well, I'm, I'll just I could give a couple of opening uh, uh, salvos on this challenge. But, uh, um, you know, I've come to feel that especially in, in light of, um, you know, Obama's comments about Twitter uh, that he talked about in his farewell speech and, and talking about how it makes, it's, a, it's actually a threat to democracy, that it makes people insular, makes your worldview small, and gives you the feeling of having taken political action without actually having done anything. Um, mixed with how bad it makes me feel, I think I'm fucking done with Twitter. Like, I just, I don't like it. It's, it's bad. I, I'm, I just don't think it's a good, I think it's a bad technology i think it gives it's shortened people's attention span it's poisoned our dialogue it's it's exacerbated the problem with outrage culture where where no one is allowed to we can't have a discussion of ideas and because it makes language and speech the primary thing that everybody can do and in some ways the only thing you can do it's made it so that saying mean words or saying the wrong words is like the worst crime alternately the greatest the greatest advocacy to use the right words is the greatest thing you can do and to use the wrong words is akin to an assault on someone and i just want to say neither of those are true you don't actually do that much by changing the words i mean it does a little something to change language it helps it's not harmful it helps and similarly, you don't really hurt that someone that badly by saying something mean or cruel to them. I mean, again, it's not good. You shouldn't do it. It's bad. But then the, sc- the scale of that can be brutal. If it, happens, if it happens to you, I mean, the human mind is not designed to withstand hundreds of people yelling at you. I mean, you go and like, listen, it's happened to me. It's go- I'm sure, Merlin, I'm sure you've gotten some of this. Like, it's only a matter of time. Listen, if you're on Twitter, it's only I l- listen to me carefully. It is only a matter of time before Twitter turns on you. It will happen. You will have your day. You will say the wrong thing. You will paste the wrong link. You will make the wrong comment. You will Something will be taken out of context. I promise you it will happen. Twitter will turn on mm-hmm. you. And the human mind, I know it's just people yelling at you, but the human mind is not built to withstand hundreds of people yelling at you. I mean, you feel like you're going to die. Yeah. And similarly, you it, it's so exhilarating when everyone around you is yelling about the same thing. There's so much... Just every 
evolutionary piece of software in your brain is firing up going, you better start yelling. You're one of them. Right. And that's no way to live a life. Yeah. Yeah. I, I actually, hmm. yeah, I got a lot to say about this. Um, I'll say the, the one, so the things that were, so I, I read Twitter. I still went on Twitter because there is no substitute at this moment in the culture for, especially for me, who's like trying to follow politics, like very closely, like hour to hour. There's nothing else. Like Twitter is journalism. And of course, that's the good and the bad. What's good is that you get unprecedented access to the stream of information and facts as they flow. What's bad is that it allows Donald Trump to be president because the attention span of the media is so low. The public's tolerance for information and context is so damaged that the person who tweets the loudest and makes the most outrageous statements and has the least dignity profits. And that's why we are where we are. Um, the thing that was the one thing I wrote down that was really frustrating to me was I, uh, you know, I, I there was some stuff that happened this week that I wanted to promote. Oh, there was the birth control one that you were very excited about that one. What's this? Oh, if you can't afford $9 for birth control, maybe you shouldn't be having sex. But that's a perfect example of like, I already forgot about, listen, I literally already forgot about that. And when it was happening, there was something that happened last week of some moron conservative didn't know how much birth control costs. And he was saying poor people shouldn't be able to have sex, whatever. It didn't matter. But everyone on my timeline, everyone was like all like, like they were just like tumescent with outrage. They were engorged with the, with the anger jelly. And they were, it was, it was, they were, they were fully erect with huge angry balls and they were just all pointing in the same direction and pointing and yelling and going, ah, look at that guy. Fuck that guy. And I wanted so badly to join them. Like every neuron in my brain was going like, you better point at that guy and yell too. Cause you're, you're one of them. Yeah. Like this is, this is outrage that was made for me. Yeah. It, it spoke to me so clearly. And I texted, we have our group text and I texted the group text. and I was like, oh, I want to retweet this so badly. I'm so mad. I can't participate in, in the retweet, the angry retweeting of this idiot. And I already forgot it. It's, what is it? Four days later, and I, it's gone. I already completely forgot that this transpired. Right. Yeah. Um, I, I would like to, uh, in the fullness of time, talk about some specific details about what I found difficult and easy about it. But um, I, I need to workshop this epithet a little bit. But it's um, it's one. It's, I feel like it's one thing the way that the internet and access to the internet has made uh, the expression of ideas inexpensive. And I'm avoiding the word free for obvious reasons. But you know what I mean? I, I, I think there's, it's one thing to make ideas and words inexpensive, and it's another thing to make them cheap because I think there's a difference. And what you get when you have to just watch this versus just participate in it, especially reading the uh, politics list that you've shared with us, um, ideas and words are so cheap. It's, it's there's no I mean, and this is an old idea. This is nothing new, but you really feel it in your bones when you're not participating in it, because when you get to participate, you burn off a little bit like you shoot off some of that steam that you've got because now, you know, you're you're part of it. So I'm, I'm not about to say that I'm going to quit using Twitter, but it has been it's been very instructive for me. And I it, it, as we'll get into maybe in a minute, uh, like for me, the first for a variety of reasons, the first two or three days were difficult. But by Saturday, I was not really missing it that much. Did you? So one thing I touched on this earlier on the podcast, but I've noticed that since I've not been tweeting, so I, I for, well, I'm more excited to see people and talk to them because I have things hmm. to say to them. <laughs> not me. Yeah, no. <laughs> really? <laughs> no. Nope. Sorry. That's, that. I'm so excited to talk to you guys because I haven't. That's a that's a human too far for me. Yeah. Interesting. I'm so excited to be here right now, you guys. Oh my god. And what about you, Alex? Um, what was your experience of this? Because you're you're not a high volume tutor. I- 
I think I would disagree. Uh, sometimes I get uh, a little hypomanic and go a little crazy. I, just so you know, I follow you on Twitter. I I'm, I apologize. <laughs> Um, mm. the, the only, <laughs> the only thing that I wrote down that, uh, the one tweet that I still, uh, held on to was, uh, how much would you, how much would I have to pay you to eat a chunk of human? And we discussed that and now I'm That's satisfied. so funny. The only one I have is, is a quote from a friend of mine. It says, you can't make an omelet without breaking a few optical cables. <laughs> and that line was so goddamn funny to me when I heard it on this podcast, it was all I could do not to toot it. And now it's sitting in my bear. Like a monster. The the thing too is like the the things that I got really excited about, you know, like Chelsea Manning. Like me retweeting something is not informing or exciting anybody else. Like I am informed and excited, uh, and I can like I feel like I'm a part of this conversation, and I don't need to say anything about it. Um, I did get kind of sad not retweeting vines. Well, I guess I can now. Um, like I don't I don't know. I'm a, I'm a weirdo on Twitter and I talk about things that aren't important, but it's stuff that uh my weirdo friends care about and I'll go on a I wanted to go on a rant about how the wire cutter I I've never regretted anything that I bought from the wire cutter except for I their iPhone recommend ca- iPhone case recommendations which are so so wrong, but that that's a whole other show. Um but yeah, I tried to actually avoid uh max's twitter list and just uh i I, like followed a few of those folks and just was using nuzzle a lot which i other than those ads wow um i i don't know i I liked it without all the snarky and um conversely smarmy comments I, i don't know it was a pleasant week I found that once I stopped posting um, on Twitter, as you know, after like three days or whatever, I didn't care as much about what was happening on Twitter because a lot of the the cognitive loop of going on Twitter all the time is you want to know what people are saying about you and how they're responding to your little comments and tweets. To, and to what jokes. you've recently said, well, it's, it's yeah. not. I, I've never been to an orgy, but I imagine it's a little <laughs> bit like some kind of a group sex thing. We're like, you know, it's probably more interesting when you get to be involved, unless you're one of those cucks that likes to watch. But, but you know, eventually at a certain point after a week of watching other people have sex, you're like, this is pretty gross and I'd really rather do something else. Yeah, I, um, I, that was very much how, how I felt about it. Um, I had, so I, there were, there were two things that I wanted to, um, that can happen this week that I was, um, really, really excited to, um, uh-oh. Oh, here we go. Uh, there were two things that happened this week that I really wanted to promote, so I'll just tell people on the podcast, and hopefully that makes up for, for not, uh, for not, uh, this is not being able to This is not it. what we're here for. Yes, it is. This is. There were two things I wanted to promote. One of them was uh, oh our, friend, uh, our friend Brent Nepper has did one of the coolest projects I've ever seen on the internet, which is he... So he Brent lives in a van and travels to national parks and takes photos of national parks, and he's been trying to figure out how to share this with people and he started a patreon where you can get once a week a text message with a story and a photo from a national park from brent which is patreon.com slash brent nepper and uh, a designer i really like uh named uh, jessica paley who's a uh, skull face on twitter launched uh, relaunched her store false luck and there's really cool pins enamel pins and stuff uh that i love and those are the things i couldn't share this week i was really bummed I would like to share the website. Uh, I, I found it and I got really, really excited. 43folders.com. There, w- I mean, there was this thing uh, called Inbox Zero that, wow, mm-hmm. wow. You know, That's that thing Max came up with where you do your email. Yeah, yeah. Oh. Do you want a merit badge? I have uh, made a, up some uh, Inbox Zero merit badges. Well, I've been making some changes <laughs> to my iPad workflow. <laughs> uh, I want to talk about what was uh, easy and difficult. Yes. So 
So Max is a monster who decides by his own fucking caprice when he will be the one who comes in with the planes flying over New York and decides that he's going to be the one who, quote unquote, edits the episode. And he always leaves off the mm. challenge because he's a monster. I just want to mention, I had many protestations about this, some of which I still stand by. I don't like people telling me what to do. But the things that I, there were things I knew would be difficult. There were things that were harder than I expected. And there was a constellation of things that were not that hard. That's, that's the crazy part of this to me. So I want to, I want to hear, like, it sounds like we're, like, we focus so far on the, like, the things we wanted to jump in with. I think, I mentioned this to you in in text, I think, but you know what? The one that I found, I'm not going to say it was the hardest for me, but it was the one that almost screwed me up the most times was responding to people. It was not posting because I could catch myself like, oh, I can't do this. I can't post a new tweet. I cannot cause a new tweet to be tweeted. Um, That was the least of my worries. My second biggest thing was retweeting. Like, oh, I shouldn't retweet because I can't. That's not part of the thing. The hardest thing for me was not responding to people. And I don't mean mean people. I mean like somebody with a question, somebody with a compliment, somebody with a whatever. And it made me realize like how much more than I realize I respond to those things the instant that I see them. Good, bad, or indifferent. And that's what drove me crazy. I felt it was hard for me to stop doing it. And I felt weird and bad and unkind and ungrateful to not respond to stuff I ordinarily would have. But nobody seemed to notice that I wasn't tweeting. Not a single person. <laughs> I didn't get any comments about it either. I thought maybe Zero. people would start saying like, oh, are you okay or whatever? And nobody said anything about it. You could beat down a mine shaft and no one would know. And, well, it just says how important your contributions to the discourse are uh, if no one notices <laughs> when you stop. But It's like if John Dickerson didn't show up for his Sunday morning show. <laughs> They just they just shot a chair. Yeah, and you just stared at this chair for an hour. How long have you been gone, John? Oh, um, you good, man? I found I found that it was so reflexive for me to reply to people when they sent me um, messages, or especially if they were like wrong about something. I started I hit the reply button and started typing a tweet before I remembered I wasn't supposed to be tweeting. Oh, so many mm-hmm. times. That's the only one that really that really tripped me up. And I actually have an anecdote. This is short, but 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 quick. Do, didn't I tell you on this show about how? Yes, I know I told you about this that I was getting. The oh, you know what? We talked about this in the text, but anyway, I, I mentioned that we uh, got this gift my wife got me of meat. It's, it's meat, <laughs> pound sign grass fed meat mm-hmm. that gets delivered once a month. Long story short, it, it arrived after 11 days, it was melted, there was blood in the bag. Uh, it was a terrible mess. Aww. And I'd, I'd mentioned it on this program. Do you remember just in passing in the service of the anecdote about how sometimes I would uh text with my wife when we're like in the house at the same time? Did you, you, I told you about this, right? I think so, yeah. Yes. Uh, did I tell you that, the, that the, like, the guy from the company responded on Twitter because he heard it on the show? <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh, no. Like, Mr. Meat, like, Johnny, Johnny Meat mm. got on the horn. He got on the blower, and he said, hey, I heard about your... <laughs> experience with pound sign grass your, your negative customer experience with our with yeah. our you got a, a, a bag of blood i got a bag of blood and i'm not gonna say the name but and he said is it my company at sign this and 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 i i can't say anything because i'm under uh, admonishment from max so you know what i did i hearted it <laughs> what, what the fuck is that poor man thinking Him, assuming that he or his agents now hear this he'll know that we're talking about it now it's much like that Mr. Show sketch about the Colin show. Listen, if there's one thing but, that I hope people learn from this podcast, it's that if you hear something advertised on a podcast, whether it's powders or a bag of meat, buy it immediately because the quality is assured. <laughs> <laughs> That's going to be the new slogan for our, for our program. I guarantee. The quality is assured. I guarantee the quality. Mm, you personally, you personally guarantee it. You're going to like the way you're going to like the way your meat looks. 
I it's going to be it. it's going to be a bag of blood. But you know what? Turns out it is pound sign grass fed blood. That's good. Anyway, that's the parts I found difficult. And I, the, the funny part, I have to be dead honest. So here's the, here's the stuff I felt shitty about. I couldn't promote this show. I could not promote the new episode of Reconcilable Differences. The one that really bummed me out and I felt like shit about was I could not promote a live show that I did with John Roderick on Saturday. Because we did have, I mean, I think it was pretty full. It might have been sold out. But, like, that's the kind of thing where, like, I, I have, feel like I have an obligation to do that. And I felt really bad about that. But... I have to tell you, I'm not sure how much of a difference all those things really, really make. Like, I just, I checked the numbers on our program, which I'm very happy with. It's our daily shower. No. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, it's pretty good. It's pretty well, good. Well, if, if there's any event in human history where the numbers have been a little inflated, I think it's probably the Holocaust. <laughs> um, Oh, wow. That's we're... a shame you're going to have to cut that out because that might be the best joke in the uh, history of the show. <laughs> we're gonna, in the history of the we're show. We're going to get a letter from the ADL about that one. They, haven't, they gave up a long time ago Aww. when I went on my uh, Jewish witch hunt. <laughs> <laughs> they got Jewish witches? Oh, we're Aww. ripe with witches. We got witches out. lousy with witches? We got witches out the wazoo. <laughs> Who do you think sending you these bags of blood? Jewish witches. They get in there. <laughs> hey, Mish Bohat. Anyway. Um, and then you step on the light bulb. Uh, but the witch can't work on a Friday. You get this guy over here. We got no soup. <laughs> okay. Anyway, we had a challenge and we did it. All right, I, I would like to uh, uh, permission to uh, expand and uh, respond uh, with my remarks, Senator Senator Mann. Yes, you, yeah, I would like to. Uh, I would like to uh, point to the distinguished uh, Jew from Chicago. <laughs> God, uh, please go. Yes, please no, go ahead, don't, Max. Don't out me. Edit that out. I don't want anyone to know I'm Jewish because I feel like I'll have to resign from the podcast. Uh, <laughs> so uh, there were okay. So I agree. I went through the struggle of not being able to reply to people too, and ultimately I. You know, there's there's a couple of things. I agree with you that it probably it, it has me questioning how much it matters to like tweet about things to promote them because things went fine without me promoting them. But it also reminded me of this piece, this blog post I read a while ago. It, it's called uh, I think it's called like the art of letting others be wrong, and it's by this just a blogger named uh, David Kane. But he has this great story. He says. Uh, I was never exactly a fan of the Oprah Winfrey show, um, but I've surely seen several hundred hours of it. For uh, years after it went off the air, I kept remembering a particular insight that Oprah shared once. I forget the context, but Oprah was amazed to realize that she didn't have to answer the phone just because it was ringing. It was a significant insight to me, too, not because answering the phone is a particularly difficult task, but because it meant that there was an invisible freedom there, which I somehow didn't realize that I had. Even if I still answered every call, it felt like a choice. Before that, it had been kind of a master-slave type relationship in which some remote person could push some buttons and force my body up onto its feet, perhaps tearing me away from a Star Trek rerun. For those of us inclined to argue every point, it's easy to forget that we have the freedom to simply carry on with our lives and let wrong viewpoints stand. It's amazing how often it seems like an exchange needs your input the way a screaming oh, kettle wow. needs to be taken off the element. That's so good. Oh, that is so good. <laughs> you know, it's... Uh, yeah, that is, it's really true. You have, and this is partly because stems out of my interest in cognitive behavioral therapy, you know, just, just the idea that something you perceive in the world and, and how you feel about it have an invisible, uh, link 
that comes out of your own head. Do you know what I mean? The idea that like, the classic example of like somebody not saying hi to you at work and you deciding that means something in the world, like that's happening in your head unless you have evidence to the contrary. And I think I think you have to realize that you you don't you're right you don't have to answer the phone. And, and in some ways, it's almost like the freedom you get from like a GTD like system of going like, well, no matter how much I want to mow my lawn, if I'm on a plane, I can't do that. So like you could stress out for that entire flight, or you could read a book. And it, it, that sounds so obvious until you're caught up in the emotions of it, and those emotions will completely carry you away. And and if in this case, why am I saying that? In this case, I wasn't allowed. And, and my responses, again, my responses were like, I'm talking about friendly stuff, but I get what you're saying here. Like the somebody's wrong on the internet, I can't go to sleep kind of thing. But like knowing that I can't reply made it more okay in some ways. I don't know if that's what you're saying, but that's that's how I feel is it, it had to be more okay. Well, I mean it in both ways because of course like I passed up I mean a lot of what I do on Twitter is like have stupid arguments with people or correct people when I feel that it's important or something and I you know of course it's helpful to remember like I don't actually need to do that. So it, A I don't think it really changes their mind and it just wastes my time but like I just don't no one appointed me the to be the person in charge of correcting other people like just because I, I was born a white man and that is society puts that cruel expectation on me that I correct everyone around me on their opinions <laughs> about technology. I mean... Isn't it amazing how much you get corralled into having to do that because of your role? It is. You, you don't You don't want to do that. No. You don't want that responsibility. No, I don't enjoy that. I don't love sp- uh, opening my legs real wide on the train, but society... You don't want to be fucked. ...puts these expectations on me. No, but in all seriousness, like I do argue with people, and it's nice to know, even if I go back on Twitter and keep arguing with people in the future, like it's nice to be reminded that that's a decision I'm making. Like I don't have to do that. It's not a job. It's... it's, it's Totally, it's totally it's a true. choice. Every time I do it, it's a choice. And the same thing is true of, of replying to people. I mean, Twitter, every any fucking person in the world can tweet at you. Like, it's crazy. Like, you would never accept a work environment where literally any living human could come tap you on the shoulder and bother you. It would be unacceptable. You would quit. You would go insane. But somehow we, we let ourselves do this with Twitter all the time. And just anyone has access to you. They can say whatever dumb shit they want or ask any stupid repetitive, oh, it's your favorite card, it's humanity card. And somehow I'm like, oh, I got to respond to the fans or got to got to respond to these people on Twitter. I'm like, I, no, I don't actually. I can just let it go. Totally agree. What do you think about Alex? I just, well, I, I have the privilege of... Yeah, Alex uh, is looking at pictures of Chris Latner over uh, here. I, 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 I'm actually looking at pictures of uh, the, the newest SpaceX launch. Um, <laughs> but I, I have the privilege of uh, no one following me on Twitter. So if someone said mm-hmm. something that I thought was really nice or they asked a like legitimate question, I, I actually opened my DMs for the week and just replied to them there. So... That was my solution. Wow, wow, wow. Wow, way, way to embrace the spirit of the yep, challenge. Yep, Uh Well, there was that one guy with the chicken wallpaper that I just love. <laughs> it's so good. He, uh, someone sent me their uh, iPhone home screen, and it was terrible, but they had a background of chickens, and I, I just... And oh, I love boat. that. That guy, that was a very unusual setup that yeah, guy had. I, I, I love chickens. Um Chicken? Chickens? Is, is is it chickens if they're still alive? Is that the plural? Or oh, is this like shrimp and shrimp? Yeah, that kind I'm of wondering. thing? Plurals? Because it's, it's yeah. All right. Anyway. Technically, it's, I think technically it's chicken Americans. Uh, I, I actually, so whenever any, I actually have a uh, Texas st- expander snippet for if somebody asked me what, what my favorite Cards Against Humanity card is. What is it? Um, it's it's uh, the dolphin one, the dolphin sex one. Although I should update it to the what scissoring one. What is it? What is the dolphin? Um, let me find Oh, figuring out how to have sex with a dolphin? Yeah, yeah. That's a good one. <laughs> uh, scissoring, if it's a thing, though, I think is my new favorite card. <laughs> that I was oh, scissoring, on. if that's even yeah. a thing. Yeah. Yeah. 
<laughs> let's laugh at the co- <laughs> the cards Max wrote. Um, oh, it's so nice to be able to laugh again. Yeah. <laughs> Does anybody remember laughter? It was hard. It was hard. Now, okay, so dugga, uh, dugga, dugga. Max, are you you go through these little fits sometimes? Sometimes you drop a little Montero. You are you serious? You thinking you're, you're are you getting off? Are you reducing? What is your plan here? It sounds like you you got to be in your bonnet about Twitter. Well, I I'm I'm doing some soul searching in general. You know, listen, I, let me just like back up for a second and and tell you like what I'm thinking about the world. Like I you know. I spent. I, so I, mean, I, I sorry. Like I. Uh, it's a no, tough... no, no. I just. <laughs> I just love the sentence. Let me back up for a second and tell you what I'm thinking. About the world. <laughs> it is. I'm. It's the ultimate giant step back. Okay. Oh, hang on. Yeah. Let's zoom way, way out to the Alpha Centauri galaxy. Uh, uh, no, I mean, listen. I'm. I'm thinking right now. Uh, you know, obviously a lot about politics and like the last. You know, I found I found the other day I was like going through a bunch of old Obama shit and I found a business card from the first time that I met Obama. And I realized I've been in some capacity working, volunteering, supporting for consulting for whatever this guy, Barack Obama, for coming up on 15 years. So it's been half of my life. My I've spent working for this guy. And obviously, when I started working for him, he was a state senator. I didn't you know, I had I thought he was a losing primary Senate, uh, a protest candidate in the Senate race. Uh, when he got into it, which is why I liked him, and you know, and, and that was him against uh, the Jerry Ryan guy. Uh, well, that that was in the general, but yeah, and okay. and he was the anti Iraq War candidate, and that that was important to me. And I was like, I'm going to volunteer for this guy because you know it's important to me. So I'm just thinking about the legacy of of really the first part of my adult life, which feels like it's at an end point now that you know Obama's um, leaving office, and you know it's not looking great. Like a lot of that Obama legacy is going to be wiped away. And the ways in which I thought that I understood society and that I thought I understood, you know, the role of progressive politics in this country and my own sort of, you know, small contribution to that and the way in which I thought I understood this election. Right. Like I was very confident about my understanding of the election with all of my smarts and experience. And it was all wrong. So I don't want to go rushing in and be like, oh, well, now I understand it because I don't. right? Right. It was it was very wrong. So. Uh, I'm just trying to reevaluate and, you know, I'm I'm trying to I'm reading a bunch of like philosophy and, and kind of d- getting my feet back into a little bit of political philosophy and just trying to like put my feet on the ground and, and figure out what to do from here. And, you know, I keep coming back to Twitter as Twitter has changed politics and news in a way that I think is bad. And I think if you're spend a you know, for me. Twitter's a big part of my life. Like it's a primary way that I talk to people and get feedback and follow up with what's going on. I think it's pretty toxic. I think it's really bad for my my brain and my worldview. So that's that's what I'm that's what I'm thinking. There's one kind of facile way of looking at these things, or maybe it, this is going to seem really simple-minded and really I don't know lame, but uh, for for anything that you either decide to do or find yourself doing on a regular basis well first if it's happening a lot more than you're realizing that's good to know but if it's something that you're doing a lot a lot a lot it pays this is so i'm sorry this is so lame and so merlin man uh does doing this a lot make me the person i want to be more or less um which sounds really simple-minded until you really accept that so you know does exercising a little more make me the person i want to be does like sleeping late do that like whatever it is whether it doesn't have to have a value on it but in that case 
you know, I've done stuff like, you know, you're making me want to run. Um, oh, this would be a good challenge. Oh, I might run Rescue Time again. I haven't run it in a long time. But Rescue Time, when I ran, Rescue Time is an app, for those listeners who don't know, is an app that runs on your Mac and basically watches what you do. It looks at the websites that you go to. It's your own little way of spying on yourself. Because if you, if you say, like, I am this kind of person, I'm not this kind of person, we're going to find out exactly what kind of fucking person you are. Because Rescue Time is going to go, you know what? You spent three hours today in the document where you composed funny tweets, which was a reality <laughs> that I faced at one point. And, like, that was really telling to me. Anyway, I, I, I'm applauding what you're saying because I know it's difficult. Um, and maybe I'm being more sincere than is appropriate for this show, but I think it does help to periodically say, does this get me closer to who I want to be? Do I want to do, do way more of this or way less of this? Do I want way more of this or way less of this? Or is it mostly okay? And I, I think it takes a certain amount of maturity to be willing to notice those things and then ask yourself those questions. And I, I may find myself asking those questions now, too. Um, I... I had one other point, uh, a sort of like politics and philosophy point, and maybe this is going to be too boring and it'll get edited out. Can I can I like go down this rabbit hole for a minute? Yes. So 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 I'm also thinking I'm also really interested in the role of writing and language in our in our like national conversation and in our politics. And maybe I only mean this in the national. Con- I mean, maybe there is no such thing as like a, a quote unquote national conversation among like all Americans, although like dumb unwashed massive americans <clears throat> so i really only mean this among like the like good smart thinking people in this country but it was this rant of course it's on twitter which is hilarious but it was by the the uh, uh the, the account at fuck theory um but it's it really like um me and a bunch of other philosophy friends read this thing and it just like got us in our bones and i'll just read it's sort of a strung together twitter rant and i'll just read a paragraph of this and then and then explain why it speaks to me this is this uh, at fuck theory wrote uh for at least 20 years upper middle class often tenured academics have been teaching young people that politics is a futile form of irony i've watched ivy league professors with tenure explain to graduate students with no health insurance that striking for pay is silly i've heard smug male assholes with phds describe registering voters as the quote-unquote busy work of political activity i've watched Deridians and Lacanians who own homes sneer at 19-year-olds who raise their hands to ask what forms of activism are useful. I've watched post-Zizek fuckboy Marxist condescendingly tell young socialists that signification, not class, is the real local of, locus of struggle. I've watched Tim Dean uh, tell young men that ethical gay liberation means filling as many anonymous assholes with cum as possible. I've watched Lee Edelman tell students with a shit-eating grin that hope is surrender and that fighting for the future is quote-unquote heteronormative. Kids who were the first in their family to go to college, kids who spent their whole life fighting for a scholarship, kids who worked full-time while they studied for their SATs rather than having a family tutor come to the Hamptons every summer, kids who, like me, grew up with awe looking at the worn, dog-eared copies of the Communist Manifesto on their grandparents' bookshelves. Kids who, like me, had the shit kicked out of them for being smart, for being queer, for being brave, for being different. The smartest kids, the most determined kids, the most enthusiastic kids. The kids who need a concept of ethical politics the most. The kids who could, and in so many cases would, have gone back to their communities to teach, to read, to lead, to work. And so, Ooh. yeah. S- send that to me. I will, I will. It's a good It's a good little... little um, uh, Twitter rant. But uh, but anyway, I'm just I'm very I'm really interested in because this is a problem, I think, with campus activism. God, this sounds so like conservative and lame of me. But it's a problem with campus activism where if you're if you're a professor and your entire world, your your entire life is standing up in front of people and talking 
or going to lectures and listening to people talk, and that's the that's all you, everything you do, then in your in your worldview, speech and performance are going to become primary. It's going to become all there is, and you're going to come to believe that the only way to do anything in the world is to use the right words and to make the right speech acts. And of course, that's not all there is. That's a ridiculous worldview. Um, you know, I've been I've been reading a lot of um, uh, this uh, um, this philosopher Martha Nussbaum, who's like maybe my favorite political philosopher. And she has this very famous sort of philosophical feud with um, the the basically like the mother of 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 campus sort of feminism, Judith Butler, who herself is a, a great philosopher and, and really interesting to read. But uh, Martha Nussbaum has this um, critique. She she has this great critique of Judith Butts, uh, Butler called uh, the Professor of Parody, and I'll just read a quick quote from that. Uh, uh, so this is Martha Nussbaum writing. Judith Butler's feminism is in many ways easier than the old feminism. It tells scores of talented young women that they need not work on changing the law or feeding the hungry or assailing power through theory harnessed to material politics. They can do politics in the safety of their campuses, remaining on the symbolic level, making subversive gestures at power through speech and gesture. This, the theory says, is pretty much all that's available to us anyway by way of political action, and isn't it exciting and sexy? In its small way, of course, this is a hopeful politics. It instructs people that they can, right now, without compromising their security, do something bold. But the boldness is entirely gestural, and insofar as Butler's ideals suggest that these symbolic gestures are really political change, it offers only a false hope. Hungry women are not fed by this, battered women are not sheltered by it, raped women do not find justice in it, gays and lesbians do not achieve legal protections through it. And that's the nut of it for me. Like, you know, it's not nothing to use the right words and to make speech acts and to get your angry tweets in and, and feel good and feel that you've done something. But don't confuse it with having done something. Do you, um, <clears throat> do you have a feeling about that phrase, slacktivism? I mean, does that put you off? Does that seem unkind or incomplete? Or does that miss part of the, the texture of affecting change uh, today? Yeah, I mean, I think there is some slacktivism that's effective and works. I prefer the... I, I prefer to say Twitter activism because I think that's an even funnier and, and more descriptive description of what happens. And, you know, when you see these people who it's like, let's all tweet at this person and show them how mad we are and, you know, point our, our anger guns at them. It's like, I don't know, it would be so much more effective to do almost anything, to go talk to your neighbors or have a community meeting or do anything in the real world. I think the biggest thing I've been struggling with is I just... Uh... I feel like uh, everything I know now is wrong and I just kind of want to sit in a corner mm -hmm. and read and try to like, I don't know, just get a handle on the world. But it, but that feels almost like less than speech acts. It's, it's just like I have the privilege of crawling into a ball and trying to, to learn as much as I can. Um, but also I, I feel like something like I, it, it's not just deterrent uh, or it's not just, um, like a matter of worrying I'm going to say the wrong thing that is like politically incorrect or not cool with the social justice warriors it's like what if I develop opinion that is genuinely harmful to like people in my community does that sort of make sense um it could just also be my own like uh social anxiety par paranoia um no I think what you're saying makes a lot of sense and I mean a thread that's running through a lot of what you're saying and I feel like a lot of stuff at least I, f I feel and I feel like Max feels is um feeling a little bit unmoored about um 
we've certainly gone through a cycle where truth seems to have taken a backseat, if not the trunk, uh, to how we think about how things happen in the United States. But like, there's also that feeling of like, I don't know what I know anymore. My epistemology is all fucked up. Like, I don't, I don't even know. I feel sometimes like I don't even know how to test what's a good idea or not. It's some combination of this this weird political intrigue and turns out culture and there's all these various things. I mean, how many things do you feel sure and certain and clear in your bones about? And like, are, are you sure about that? Like, have you even examined those things? I, I don't know if that's what you're describing, but I, I feel kind of that way. Like I'm, I, I, uh, in this kind of Hippocratic way, I'm thinking like, God, I just, I just don't want to fuck anything else up more. And at the mm-hmm. same time, things that I thought typically in the past would be useful for things could actually be harmful. And will Pissgate turn out to be something <laughs> that was just a huge distraction from all these other things? And it's like, I don't know, for a man of my age and theoretical nominal maturity, like, I, I don't know what to think a lot of time. And I'm not sure how to even find out what to think. Well, it's, it's not I don't think it's that there's the truth out there, the truth on Twitter versus the lies on Twitter. It's actually not that simple. I think it's a much more complicated situation that's happening, which is, <coughs> sorry, too much powder, which is, I think it's I think it's a much more complicated situation happening, which is people have an enormous capacity to accept the data that conforms to their worldview and reject the data that does not conform to their worldview. And living in an ocean of data makes it possible to always have enough data to confirm any worldview that you pick for yourself. And if you only surround yourself with the people who also conform to that worldview, you'll just be awash in that data and you'll never sort of have a reason to critically question it or or think that you're wrong or wonder what data your cognitive dissonance is causing you not to consider. And all you can do, I mean, maybe people as individuals don't really have access to the quote-unquote truth, but all you can do is hope that you have a theory of the world that explains as much of the data as possible and rejects as little of the data as possible. And it's increasingly difficult. Like, I think Twitter makes that much harder. And the amount that I was so sure about Pissgate a week ago, and I felt so confident that it was real, is a great example of that. Because, like, who fucking knows? Like, maybe it's true, maybe it's not. Like, I'm I'm trying to get all the data on all the sides of this that I can and then form the theory that incorporates the data in the best way. But, you know, it's crazy to think that uh, just being aware of a, logical fallacy doesn't mean that you're any less likely to commit the logical fallacy right (sighs) you know it felt like in uh high school if if i disagreed uh with someone's philosophy or uh it was like iffy on a scientific theory there there were reliable sources to go and read about and, and be like okay this this isn't like necessarily true but i can get like an accurate viewpoint or um some conflicting science that is interesting. Um, but now it's like, okay, all I can read about are uh, angry medium posts from Nazis. Like, I, I don't know where to get, um, like, different viewpoints. It's, it's I don't know. Like, the, the like Max said, there's, like, a sea of... Like, I, I get there is a sea of data, but it's almost like if I don't go, come out of the whirlpool of things that confirm all of my beliefs it's just like where do i go yeah well i I, i'll tell you what i've done this week because like not being on twitter as much as and participating in twitter is like actually freed up like hours and hours of time as it turns out (laughs) like the amount of hours i mean i'll just i'll just be honest like the amount of hours i spend on twitter is it's unbelievable. I mean, I, I I have rescue time and I don't want to look at it because I'm it's embarrassing how much time I spend on Twitter. But um 
I've been reading a lot of books and, you know, at least a book is like a, a, a well-respected book in its field. At least it's like a thing you can think about for a long time. So if it's totally full of shit, you'll have a greater chance to realize it than a 140 character tweet. You know, at least a book, you could spend some time with it and you live with it and you sit with it for a minute. And I also subscribe to the New York Times, the hard copy of the New York Times. It comes to my house every morning and it's like, I don't know. I guess I never subscribed to a newspaper before, so I assumed it was like a really expensive thing. And it's not an expensive thing. It's actually like incredibly cheap to have a man bring a printed paper to your house every day. That might be the introductory period because we tried that and it got expensive fast. But it was it was very it was it was I'm glad we still get the Sunday uh, hard copy, which my daughter does not understand at all, like why you would get this. <laughs> but no, and it's this thing we kind of like look over throughout the week. And but I don't know how you do that every morning. Do you have a Do you have a way you approach? Re- I'm, I derailed you. I'm sorry. But how do you um How do you approach getting that every morning as a busy person? Oh, I just grab. So I either go down and grab it and have my coffee and read the New York Times for. I don't read it cover to cover. I read the headlines. I pick out a few headlines, typically something I don't know a lot about already, and I read the article. And then I throw it out. I'm done with it. That's it. I just but but just knowing the ecosystem of news of like here's a bunch of really smart, well-informed editors who decided what's important today helps mm-hmm. more than a bunch of random assholes that I followed on Twitter being mad about something. And a lot of times <laughs> what people what whatever dumb shiny keys are jangling in front of people's faces on Twitter surprisingly does not make the pages of the New York Times because it turns out to be extremely unimportant. <sighs> My coffee's wearing off. You I'm very powdery. I'm very dry and powdery. I mean, mm. this wasn't funny at all. I just felt like it no. was. Uh, it made my life better. By the time you're done done cutting everything out of this, there's not going to be much left. It's going to be uh, all no apple all core. <laughs> it's going to be the Top Chef intro <laughs> and then the jazz, and then we're done. Mm, wonder what Chris Latner's doing right now. Do you think he's committing some code? Do you, Do you have any anxiety around like reading books? Like I I'm super intre- Like I I because I'm a liberal arts kid. Like I I love science journalism so much, and I, most of the time I'm re- I'm reading about uh like robots and Tesla, um. But like Jonah, what's his name? Jonah, Le- who's the guy who made up the Bob Dylan quotes? Um, Jonah Lair. Yeah, like like I know we like everyone jokes about Malcolm Gladwell and stuff like that, but it's like. Uh, there were people that I trusted and who were smart and like I read him uh in Wired and thought he was a smart person and he felt like he felt like not only one of us but like a way smarter person yeah and I know that those are edge cases like I I understand that this is kind of again just an anxiety that is that's an internalized piece of bullshit but I don't know like I always get really excited when uh people smart people I like recommend books but um you I don't know let me let me tell you my I have a couple of just like rules of thumb so that I don't uh Jonah Lehrer myself um (laughs) and and to be honest it makes the world (laughs) do you sometimes Jonah Lehrer all over yourself (laughs) a little bit yeah you know you're home alone Mm -hmm. Listen to be like yeah, I, could, at, I could write Bob Dylan song. Yeah, you're look you're at looking that. at you're looking at pictures of Chris Latner and you uh, <laughs> you journal air yourself. I'm sorry, Chris Latner. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Chris Latner. Maybe Chris Chris Latner's being interviewed on Lifetime or something. Mm. I uh, <clears throat> no. So I uh, here's a couple of like rules of thumb and and you know the other thing is like I just know a bunch of scientists, so I've learned a certain amount of scientific literacy because I periodically. Um, when I see a really cool science thing, I periodically message my science friends and say, what's your read on this? And I'll tell you this. Um, be in all aspects of your life in terms of consuming news about the world and, and whether that's science or politics or whatever. 
be very wary of anything surprising. If something surprises mm -hmm. you, if you read something and you go, holy shit, that's amazing, your suspicion should dial up to a 20 because it's exceedingly, exceedingly rare that something surprising happens if, in science. If, that was, if it was conducted correctly, that should be very unusual. That's correct. Science moves inch by inch by inch, and a surprising result is almost always dust on the telescope and almost never aliens. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's it's a, it's it, it's much more like, and the science, and you have to also understand that the incentive of the science press, even the really good science press like Radiolab, is that they want to show you surprising results. They want to present a surprising story to you. They want all funding for all science is contingent upon professors and scientists and lab groups getting turns out results, surprising results. There's a strong bias towards finding out something surprising. And it turns out there's now a, a replicability crisis in science because people pursued these surprising results. And it's much more juicy and much easier to get funding and much easier to get the public to care about a surprising result than to say, hey, we tested something and falsified it and it turns out it's not true. Right. No one wants to be that guy. No one want that research is boring. It's hard to get funding for. But that's what true science is. So and that I would extend that to politics to say if you read something that is so good that it it seems too good to be true about Trump it's so surprising it's like oh I can't believe he sunk this low I can't believe that this or that happened be so skeptical about it because you I'm guessing everyone listening to this podcast you're inclined you want to believe the, the piss gates of the world you want it to be true you want that guy to be yeah. humiliated you want him to if fall it's if power. it's your frame you know if nothing else it really if it's your framework you made a you made a really quick in passing joke last week about piss gate and how this you were made for this <laughs> i think that's the feeling is like when you've come across that it's, it's not that much of a joke where you go like oh my god this is right in my wheelhouse not only do i agree that this should be true even if it's not but i've got i've got so much material that i could do on this yeah Right. And it's very hard to separate the part of your brain, the critical part of your brain that's like, oh, I've like found something that's true from the less critical parts of your brain that are like, I really want this. I just really want big lithium ion batteries, guys. <laughs> I get real, real excited. <laughs> you know, companies that are, you know, one company that's doing a lot of good work with batteries is uh, Tesla. Oh, mm, mm, Self-driving Latner. Latner. 